0: Scripture passage this morning is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to start the reading in verse 45 of chapter 11 to give a bit of context. If you remember last, we ended John chapter 10, so... Hopefully, I'll help you understand why we moved around a little bit. Here now the reading of God's Word. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in Him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God. Bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those who reclined at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold in the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. As far as the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, enlighten us that this morning we may truly see Christ presented to us in your word, that we may come to adore him all the more, that we may be filled the overwhelming expression of gratitude by the Spirit indwelling within us to express the same kind of devotion and affection that Mary had for your son Christ in this moment recorded for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We skip from John chapter 10 to John chapter 12 because a little while back when we were uh, going through Easter season, Resurrection Sunday, I dealt with John chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus um, from the dead in large detail. And then uh, the next time I preach for you as well, we're going to be skipping over much of John chapter 12 because I cover the triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday. So we're skipping around a bit, but hopefully you'll see uh, where we are in context. There's, uh, when I was thinking about this this passage and, and how to present it, I kind of had a thought. Um, the idea of uh, someone who's spoiled, we think of that, you know, someone who is who is spoiled. As someone who receives... Large gifts, extravagant gifts. And this kind of spoiling does something to the person. It corrupts them, makes them unappreciative for what they have. Um, you know, spoiled rotten, spoiled brat. These are the kind of terms we use. Well, I looked up uh, the most spoiled kids in the world. And Valentina Paloma Pinwalt who's the daughter of actress Selma Hayek and francois Henry Pinwald, CEO of luxury goods company PPR. She's five years old, or she was at least five um, at the time that this article was written. And the article said when she grows up, she has her own Los Angeles estate. It's being held in trust right now. This estate is worth $12 million, and it's funded with $50,000 a month by her father. So this is a five-year-old who owns a $12 million estate. And so when we hear of things like this, our immediate response typically is that this child is spoiled. And that this kind of pampering most likely is not going to be good for her. Not going to give her the kind of motivation that she needs to uh, seek the things in life with hard work and so on and so forth. A five-year-old who owns a million-dollar house $12 million house. But this is what I want us to think about. What I want us to think about is that it's not really the gift that bothers us. It's not really the gift that bothers us. It's the person who it's given to. And what do I mean by that? You see, if the person was truly deserving of such a great expression of love and devotion, we would have no problem with it. The question is, what person is deserving of such a great expression of love and devotion? If we understand things rightly, we would say, we're all sinners. We're all broken. None of us is really worthy of a great expression of love and devotion. None of us is really worthy of a $12 million house, let alone a five-year-old. Here's what I want us to think about. The only person who's worthy of a great expression of love and devotion, regardless of the cost, is Christ. A true expression of devotion to Christ is priceless. You can't put a price on it. A true expression of devotion to Christ is priceless. And we're going to look at this passage in in three ways. We're going to look at the place, the location of where it's occurring. We're going to look at the perfume that Mary anoints Jesus with. And then finally, we're going to look at the passion. What is the statement that Christ makes concerning his burial? And what does that mean for us? So, first of all, let's look at the place. Starting in verse uh, 55 of chapter 11, we're told that it's almost time for the Jewish Passover, and that Christ has now left his public ministry with these threatening words that from that day on, the Jews, or the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, plotted to take Christ's life. He went away to a place called Ephraim, and there's this anticipation that Passover is approaching. And the people are thinking, is Christ going to come up to Jerusalem? Is he, going to come out of, is he going to come out of hiding to come up to the Passover? And they're saying things like, what do you think? Is he going to come to the feast? But there's that threatening tone in John's passage. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they've given these orders to everyone that if anyone found out where Jesus was, they should report it to them immediately so that they can arrest him. Because, if you remember after the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, we're told by Caiaphas that it is better for this man to die than for the whole nation to perish. So, they're putting their plans into order. They're seeking to bring Christ under arrest. So we have this this air of tension in the passage. A tension that is put before us That speaks of the the looming darkness that is coming. That is the passion of Christ. The crucifixion, the hardship of bearing the wrath of God that Christ is anticipating. But then here in verse 1, we're told six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. She's come back to the place where Lazarus lived. And a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. There's a contrast there, isn't there? These people are seeking Christ's life, but here in this place, Bethany, he's being honored. He's being honored as the one who has done great miraculous signs, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. And there's this dinner given in his honor. And here at this dinner, we see Martha serving, which fits nicely into what we know about Martha. If you know the story, Mary and Martha, Mary is sitting at the feet of Christ. Martha's serving. Martha's mad at her sister, Mary, because she's not helping. But Jesus says, Mary has chosen the greater portion. So Martha's serving. And Lazarus, he's being honored at the table as one reclining with him. And if we understand... Uh, The way that they ate in those days. The table was low to the ground. They didn't sit, sit in chairs. And they would lounge upon their side and eat from the table. So that's what's going on here. This is the place in which Jesus is in a sense having one of his last honorary moments amongst those who are friends. Amongst those who trust him. Who adore him, who seek to honor him. Then this moment occurs a moment of great adoration and devotion. This perfume that Mary takes, starting in verse 3, we see Mary took out a pint. pure nard expensive perfume she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume this anointing that Mary does in one of the other gospels is explained as being an anointing that she gave to his head but these can be very easily seen together. If we understand the way that they're reclining at the table, it's very possible that Mary anointed Christ's entire body and that here in John, he's emphasizing the feet as an expression of devotion or worship. She is at his feet. For us, this seems a bit odd, maybe, to hear this explain these expensive nard oils, we hear later on, as worth a year's wages. 300 denarii is the price of this expression of devotion. If we were to bring that forward into today's time and age, uh, one person, one commentator said $5 an hour, which is really a low wage, Five, five days a week, that would be $12,000. But if we wanted to say that it was something like the, uh, the, the balance of what is a common yearly wage in our day and age, it would be something like $40,000. That's the cost of this expensive perfume. It was very, very expensive It was a shock in this moment to see her do this, to break the top of this jar and then to pour out this expensive perfume, this this nard oil upon Jesus. This could have been something like an heirloom, a family heirloom passed down from generation to generation. This could have been something that was kept as an expression of of, of a whole life's savings, something that was to be used only for your burial at the end of your life. In fact, her expression of devotion is seen in its extreme, maybe a word we could use, and the fact that we're told that she took out her hair and wiped his feet with her hair. And this time, uh, a woman taking her hair out from a covering would have been seen as provocative. Something that only her husband was to be a witness to. Yet in this moment here, we see that she's so filled with devotion towards her Christ that she takes her hair out and wipes Christ's feet with her hair. And if we would have been in that room, we would have thought, whoa, what is going on here? How is this appropriate? This is too much. And we're too quick To point out the silliness of the words of Judas Iscariot. Aren't we? That we wouldn't have thought the way he thought. That he was in this room and he objected to this expression of devotion because he thought to himself, what a waste. This perfume is worth so much money. If we were to have sold it, we could have, we could have fed the poor for months. We could have started a charity for the poor. It was worth a year's wages. But we have to be quick. Not to look over what Judas Iscariot says in this moment. For although we're told... His motivation is one of greed, a desire to have more money in the money bag that he likes to take for himself. We have to ask ourselves, if we were in this room, would we not have said the same thing? But is it a waste? to use such an expensive thing for this moment could not have these funds been used for greater purposes it's a question that brings up modern issues ones that we have to wrestle with that how much is too much of an expression of devotion to Christ It brings up almost a, a false dichotomy but one that we must think about Mary in this moment is so overwhelmed with love That she expresses her devotion to Christ in a way that filled the room, that caused everybody to stop and to turn and to stare. Maybe she felt she was comfortable enough to do this amongst friends, but here she is, showing her love of her Savior. And doing so in a way that caused heads to turn. What is it that we think of today? As expressions of devotion to Christ. Things that we can spend our money on. To show that we care, that we are devoted to Christ. It doesn't have to be this false dichotomy between caring for the poor and showing devotion to Christ. We can show devotion to Christ by caring for the poor, but Mary, she has this special time-stamped moment. It's unique because she does this in anticipation of what is to come. She does this in anticipation of what is to come. She knows that her time is short. It would be a contrast like this. There's nothing wrong with putting our finances into care for the poor. We call them diaconal ministries or whatever we would want to say like that, right? But that can never be separated from... The gospel. The caring for the poor, the sick, can never be separated from the gospel for this reason. If we are to think like Mary, we are to to also say our time is short. Christ is coming back. Therefore, feed the hungry, feed the poor. Clothe the naked, but tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ that there is forgiveness of sins, for the time is short and the time is at hand. And what good does it do you if your belly is full when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead? What good does it do you if you have clothes on, if Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead, if you do not have salvation, if you do not have forgiveness? In our day and age, these two things are seeking to be separated, divided, confused even, that the gospel is feeding the poor, feeding, healing the sick, clothing the naked. The gospel is not that. Those are expressions of the fruit of the gospel the good news of Christ. Those who have been redeemed desire to feed the poor, the hungry, clothe the naked. And they desire to do so in such a way that through their actions, they give opportunity to sharing of the good news of Christ. What is the gospel? That we are all filthy sinners That we have a righteous and holy God and that the only way that this righteous and holy God can be appeased of his justice has been accomplished through Christ, his perfect work. Therefore, we must not separate the good news from the caring of the poor. that in our redemption, in our Holy Spirit-filled Christian life of gratitude, we should desire, as Mary does, to fill the room with the fragrance of Christ. And yes, we do so through the feeding of the hungry, the caring of the poor, the clothing of the naked. James tells us as much. Christ tells us as much. But we do not do so Apart from the message of victory in Christ Jesus, the message of forgiveness in Christ, we are not and we cannot confuse those two things, we cannot separate those two things. And this is what is presented to us, a confusion of those things. Here is Mary's true expression of devotion to Christ, and it is priceless. Christ says so himself. moving on to the passion. In that accusation from Judas Iscariot, and we see in the other Gospels, that this is not something that just Judas is saying. This is something that the disciples all thought, but that Judas gave voice to. Christ defends Mary. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. The translation of verse 7 here is difficult, but there's a possibility that this could be understood as a question. So if we were to say it as a question, it would be, should she have saved this perfume for the day of my burial? Nonetheless, the question is assumed. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial, yet she has used it now. Why? Well, Christ tells us because the time is coming. It is at hand. And in verse 8, he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And this is why I say this expression of devotion from Mary in some sense is unique because here is Christ in his earthly ministry there, being honored at this dinner, at this meal. And Mary begins to see and to understand the things that are going on around him. The threat that he is being plotted, that his life, there's a plot to take his life. The threat that the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And even here in the midst of friends and loved ones, the threat of Judas Iscariot is there. Constantly saying, This is the one who is going to betray you. She thinks to herself, How long will I have my dear Christ here with me? So, what she had intended to say for his burial, she now uses, now in this moment, as a true loving expression of devotion because she understands that this is is one of her last opportunities. And that's why I say our comparison is the time that is at hand now before us, the redemptive historical moment that we anticipate is the return of Christ. And so our opportunity for true expressions of of devotion to Christ must combine together the importance of the good news, the gospel message, with that of caring and doing good and kind deeds. Because just as Mary understood that the time was coming at hand and that soon Christ would be taken from her and that she would not have this opportunity as he was alive to express this devotion, we too must understand that as we carry around in our bodies the fragrance of Christ, which is to some an odor of death and some an odor of life, we have opportunity now to love and to care and to feed and to... And to uh, to heal and to clothe the hungry and the naked and the poor. But we do so with the understanding that Christ is coming again and that the day of salvation is now and that you, as you are clothed, as you are fed, as you are cared for, must understand that these temporal circumstances are there to point you to the eternal reality that it is to come, that Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, And that as I am here sharing with you the fragrance of my devotion to Christ, just as Mary has done in this passage, I must tell you that there is salvation still. That there is now an opportunity to turn, to believe, to be washed in the blood of the passion of Christ. We're told we will always have the poor among us. That now we still have the opportunity to care for the poor. That Mary, following Christ's death, would continue to have opportunity to care for the poor, but she would not have opportunity as such as this to express her devotion to the living Christ in this moment. So she chose now. pour upon Christ what she intended to save for her burial. That those present and that Christ there may see the depth of her love for Him, of her devotion to Christ. And Christ tells us that this true expression of devotion to Him, although it is worth a year's wages, although it's worth $40,000 although it could have been given to the poor, is priceless. But her expression of devotion here is worthy to be recreated. It's worthy to be repeated. Followed as an example. This anointing that Mary does is an anticipation of the passion of Christ, his death and his burial. Verses nine and following, we see that a large crowd of Jews discovered that Jesus was there and came to see him, not only him, but Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And we're told that the chief priests then made plans to kill Lazarus because Lazarus is a living. Example of the power of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ. So Christ is surrounded by threats on all sides. But here in this moment, we get a glimpse of what true devotion to Him looks like. Our application here is a simple. We are called to follow the, ex- the example of this disciple, Mary, disregarded the strange look she may have received, the awkwardness this may have caused to grasp on to the opportunity to express to Christ the level of devotion she had for him. And I present that to you this morning as an opportunity To ask yourself as spirit-filled Pentecost Christians to grasp every opportunity that you have to express the devotion that you have for Christ to fill the room with its fragrance to show it is that You live for Christ and none other. And to show this not only in your desire to share and express the message of the gospel, but also to care for the poor and the hungry. To keep these together to not unnecessarily separate and divide them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Christ who is the word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be true true disciples of your son Jesus Christ that you would fill us with the kind of devotion and love that Mary had for your son Christ that you would grant us Lord opportunities to express this kind of devotion to Christ that we have to others and the varied in many ways that that they may look like we ask, Lord, as spirit-filled and empowered believers, that you would grant us the strength and encouragement to end this redemptive historical moment, not lose sight of what Christ has done for us in his death and his burial and his resurrection and ascension, what he's doing for us now as he stands at your right hand, but also to not lose sight of the anticipation of Christ's return. But as we now have opportunity to love and to care for those around us, our neighbors, to love them truly, we may also not forget to take these opportunities to share with them the message of love, the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of eternal life in your Son, Christ. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.